0: Welcome to Book Reporter Talks To, a podcast from the Book Report Network, where we host in-depth conversations with authors about the books that we love. We know authors cannot travel everywhere, so we want to bring them to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to our latest episode of Book Reporter Talks To. We're going to be talking to Amanda Peters about her debut novel, The Berry Pickers, which is a book reporter bets on selection and it's a book Barnes and Noble Discover Selection, and it was shortlisted for the Andrew Carnegie Medical Medal for Excellence in Fiction. I mean, that's like pretty a nice, nice roundup there. Also, we heard from readers about this book. When we did our November presentation where we did Bookachino Live, and we previewed books that were coming out. The Berry Pickers was the book in November that our readers wanted to read most, and that's what I love is that just hearing about the book, it resonated with them like that. In our book reporter review, Jane Krebs had this to say, spot on perfect. That's how I describe the berry pickers. Amanda Peters has created a rich and layered mystery. Watching Joe and Norma unravel the past and piece together their wives certainly qualifies as a gripping read. So with that intro, Amanda, it is so nice to have you here. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. <laughs> and with that intro, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Can you give us an overview of the berry
1: pickers? I can, since I spent four years with it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a story. I'm not giving anything away because you kind of know what's going on from the very first sentence of the first chapter. But um, it's about a family of Mi'kmaq, a Mi'kmaq family from Nova Scotia who travel to Maine every summer to pick blueberries to make money for like school supplies and help get them through the winter. Um, And while they're there in the summer of 1964, their youngest daughter, Ruthie, goes missing. So then, the book follows uh, the life of a young girl named Norma. She grows up in an affluent family in Maine, and the life of Joe, who was the the brother who was the last person to see Ruthie, and how the guilt of that uh, affects his life.
0: Mm-hmm. And he was like six when she went. When she he was yeah. yeah, he was six. Yeah. So, what was the genesis of the storyline? Where did you come up with the story idea?
1: Well, (laughs) my dad and his family were Mi'kmaq berry pickers in Maine in the 1960s. (laughs) Yeah, so um, he always said, you should write about us, you should write about us. And I said, no, dad, I write fiction. I don't write nonfiction. But he was insistent. So in the summer of 2017, uh, we packed up the Prius and my dad and I went on a road trip to Maine and he showed me the fields where they used to work. And he told me all these lovely, crazy stories And while I was there, the first line, um, the day that Ruthie went missing, uh, that line came to me while I was there. And then it just started to come out. Sort of just
0: kind of started incubating, but just spending the time there made a a big difference. So when you spent time there, did you like, are there the same fields that they're picking now? Like, I don't know with blueberry, sometimes you, you have to give the field time to rest or things like that, but this is the same area where they were.
1: Yeah, there's so along Route 9 in Maine, there's so many berry fields. They're called the Barrens along Route 9. And there's just berry fields and berry fields and berry fields. And they do burn them um, after a couple of years and then let them grow back. Um, so I don't know which ones, but my dad was showing me ones. We even went to a cabin where he said they used to stay. And there's a person living there now. We kind of surprised him. <laughs> but Yeah, he showed me and told me all the great stories. It was just a lovely experience.
0: Yeah, it's fun. It's like a bonding experience too for the two of you because you're finding out about your parents' past that you you didn't know. Like you know, he yeah. might have said we went to the berry fields, but until you're there, you don't exactly know exactly
1: what this is. Yeah, so- and a, a fun thing, a little fun little thing is that when I um, launched the book in the states, I did it in Maine, in Portland, Maine, mm-hmm. and I brought my dad, so we went down to the same berry fields. Oh, so- how fun! Yeah, it was great.
0: And you brought blueberries to give to the audience. No, <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, were you part of the indigenous culture? Like, did you grow up in the um, in the tribe or whatever?
1: Yeah, I'm Mi'kmaq. My mom is not Mi'kmaq. My mom is of settler ancestry, but my dad is Mi'kmaq. My dad's actually a member of the Santi Maliomi, which is the Grand Council of the Mi'kmaq people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I belong to Glooscap First Nation, uh, which is about 10 minutes from where I am now and 10 minutes from where I live. I wasn't raised on the reserve. I was raised off the reserve, but yeah, I did work also for my community for eight years. I worked in the community. So, and before that I worked for the nation as a whole. Um, and I still kind of, I, now I teach uh, university, but I'm teaching um, a lot of indigenous literature now. So
0: very, very interesting. So did you learn a lot more as you were writing this book about the culture? Like, or did you know, like everything go- going in, or did you learn more?
1: No, I, I just knew the stuff that's written there, Um, things like small things, like if you don't know how to say butoy, which is T in Mi'kmaq, then you might as well just walk away because <laughs> it's a very important part of the culture to sit and have a cup of tea, so
0: yeah. It was those kinds of things. You know, yeah. um, I confess that this was a tribe I didn't know anything about, like I mm-hmm. didn't, you know, we know the tribes that were in the, the States here. Yeah. And is that something you're hearing from other readers? Like, we we think we know tribes. We think we yeah. know tribes because we know tribes here. And we don't really, I feel like we should go back and, like, study, like, the indigenous
1: cultures in school.
0: Like, I mean, we have a school. because yeah, I feel like we should study where people were, where they migrated to, why they were there. I think it's such an interesting story.
1: Yeah, uh, not a lot of people know the Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaq are here in Atlantic Canada. So it's Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, and a part, a little bit of our part of Quebec. But we also are part of the Wabanaki Confederacy, which includes the Penobscot of Maine, right? And the Abenaki. Um, And we're, we're, we were part of a big Confederacy because that borders not not ours. Right. So, um, that's a, that's a colonial border. So we did have relationships with the, the first nations in Maine, all the way down to Massachusetts. In fact, there's a lot of Mi'kmaq mm-hmm. that I know who were born in Boston, who live in Boston still and travel down very transient along the East coast. My dad even considers Maine his second home. Wow. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, in this, the past couple of years, I've seen much more writing coming out about indigenous cultures, about what's mm-hmm. going on. Was that any inspiration to you or you were working on this already at that point?
1: Uh, it's it's kind of funny because when I first started writing, I actually thought I didn't have the right to write these stories because I was raised off the reserve. Um, thanks to colonial uh, governments, I don't speak my language um, because they were torn away from us. So I was like, do I really have the right to tell these stories? I felt kind of like an imposter in my own, my own community. Mm-hmm. Um, but this story just helped me come to grips with that and helped me understand that, yes, you can tell these stories. You are Mi'kmaq. So,
0: Yeah. It's, a, it's part of your heritage as well. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You call it reserve. Here we always call it the reservations. Like, are you going to go out to the reservation? And is that just a colloquial difference of being in that part of Maine?
1: Uh, I don't know. Because in Nova Scotia, we say community, actually. Okay. Or First Nation uh, in Canada. I say reserve more because I know the Americans would understand what I'm saying. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. I'm like reserve, reservation. Okay. I got well, you know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, we actually say community most of the time, um, Mm -hmm. or we say our First Nation. So I'm from Glooscap First Nation.
0: First Nation. I worked with a woman a couple of months ago in a book called Two Tribes, and she was Half um, uh, indigenous, and her other half was Jewish, and she oh, said, yeah. put those two cultures together. And it's really interesting to see. And her dad had passed away, and she went down to Oklahoma to where her the tribe was and whatever. And she was part of those people, but she didn't really feel it. And it was very interesting because it's such a dichotomy of who you know your two backgrounds are, mm-hmm. of who you are. But she said, you know, for finding out more about her culture and her background story, it was it was so interesting. It, it brought so much to her life. And, I'm yeah, sure and I think that's the same
1: thing. I think that's why the, the character Norma struggles with her identity a lot, like understanding who, who she is. I think I played a little bit off my own insecurities that way because you don't know really who you are at any given moment. Like, am I indigenous today? Am I not indigenous today? Or like who accepts me for being mixed race? Who doesn't, it, it's it's just this conflict sometimes of my own making, sometimes real legitimate. So yeah, I think I used that to, uh, to develop uh, the Norma character.
0: And it's like when you check the box, like who, who are you? Are you white? Are mm-hmm. you this? I, well, which boxes am I checking? I'm checking yeah. two boxes. I'm Ooh. not just checking one. And exactly. I think for so long, culture was one, and now it is so much of a more mixed race. You know, every place you see the way mm-hmm. people have intermarried. I mean, when I was growing up, um, I grew up Catholic. You didn't marry somebody outside the faith like that. Just right. didn't happen. My sister's married to someone Jewish now, and it's much more of you know intermingling of faith which you also see is intermingling of other community as well. Yeah, and it's of yeah. the basics, the basics from there. So was there a kidnapping that inspired like a story that you heard that inspired that beginning of the book or no?
1: No, no, that just, that just came to me. I don't know where I always say that that stories come from some mythical place. Right. And they just implant the seed into your brain and you just let it grow. And yeah, it just came to me. It wasn't based on anything real at all.
0: Well, you know, it's funny too. I was thinking of a four-year-old child today, and I had to keep going back and saying, "This is the '60s, okay? We were not in the '60s told quite the quite same thing of don't talk to strangers, don't go with anybody." And I feel like Ruthie's story was like the the like the genesis of don't go with strangers, don't-. Yeah. And a child at four in 1962 is very different from a child now let's walk mm-hmm. you around with an ipad and whatever right. And at the beginning i was struggling that ruthie wasn't younger than that and then i started thinking about four in the 60s it's yeah. more like you know three or
1: two now am i right when you're like thinking about ages of people yeah kind of when i was thinking about her age i was wondering um, i did actually did some research on when memory starts to form So that um, and it's not till about apparently from what I read around seven. And even if you Mm. experience trauma, it could be even later than that. If you have any at all, like really solid memory. Like we all have like flashes from when we were four and five and stuff like that, but we don't really have solid, full memories. So I was doing the research there and and I knew that at a four-year-old, she would be susceptible to believing Mm -hmm. things um, Mm -hmm. that that her parents told her to convince her she was Norma. So,
0: right, mm. right, right, right. And I'm thinking of like 1962 sitting on the rock with the doll at the edge of the road. That's yeah. a completely different child than what the child would be doing today. Like oh yeah. Yes, teaching lessons sure. in like what not to do. you know. Yeah. I mean? <laughs> no, we don't do this. You know, family is so much at the heart of the novel. It's like mm-hmm. family. It's Ruthie's original family, Norma, and the conflicts within her family. And then aunt June, which she finds this like very different from the coldness of her mom. Right. And I get the feeling that family means a lot to you. And the, different ways you can come and find family. Am I onto something there? Uh,
1: Yeah. I I love my family. I am, I am a sister to four. I am a, I am a daughter to three (laughs) because I have a stepmom. I I'm like an auntie, which is my most important role, to be honest, to four and one on the way in May.
0: Okay. So So, yeah,
1: my family is very, very important to me. And I live near all my family, right? My sister lives across the road with four of the kids and, it's just, I, I I just love it. And my mom lives right down the road. So and my dad and them, they live about a half hour, 45 minutes away, but we're we all live right around here. So, yeah, you know, I I just, I, it's very important to me. I, I think uh, I'm very blessed to have a really remarkable family.
0: Yeah. And I feel the way you have the people moving in and out and having conversations or whatever. It's that you understand the casualness and not the formalness of family. Oh, you yeah. understand those casual moments where you're really getting the heart of something, but you're you're just having a drink or you're just having whatever, but you're finding out something. And I bet when those four kids come over, they're telling you all kinds of things that, oh, you know,
1: yes. you're sharing. <laughs> I learned the other day from my nine-year-old nephew that peppers are actually a fruit because they have seeds. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I did not, not know either. Not, not me. me.
0: That's jalapenos as well then. Wow. Who knew this? Yeah, I was
1: like, oh, he's like, auntie, anything with a seed is a fruit. I'm like, okay, buddy, I got it.
0: <laughs> See, it's funny when they come home from school, they feel like they're like sharing something that you would never know. And when it is something like that, you're like, wow, that's like really interesting. Yep. Maybe I should go back to like the fourth grade. You know, like, what did I miss when I was in school that these children are, you know, sharing I, I did really love it that when Norma tells, is told that her relatives were Italian, and I'm of Italian heritage, that's why she tans more than the rest of the family. And I just love that line, because being Italian, I, Italian heritage, I was just sitting there thinking, she must saying she's the only one on the beach that's getting tan. Why am I? Oh, it's an Italian relative. And then she meets people later, and she's like, she's no one Italian, you know?
1: <laughs> it's amazing what kids will believe, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, well, just, oh, no, no, you're the Italian side of the family, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But you also write about the violence in the berry fields where there were people that were up against each other. It was either for um, land or if it was, you know, for a, a certain patch they want to be on, or it was just the product of having a number of people in closed circumstances, mm-hmm. all trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And did your dad tell you a lot of stories about that, that you know, could translate into the book?
1: Um I did. There was a murder in the berry fields that my dad remembered. Um, He wasn't really sure who it was, but turned out to be a friend of mine's uncle. Um, And so there was a little bit of violence there when people came together and you add a little bit of alcohol to any situation. Right. And yeah, they're, they're, they're different families from different areas and it just, violence did happen. It was rare. It -hmm. was rare, but it it did happen. So um, I did know that there was violence. So that's there i know which thing you're talking about but i don't want to i'm
0: not give it away we're, we're, i'm holding this. back but,
1: here <laughs> but yeah i did there there was none but i actually uh, i actually had a member of a, commu- a different community from eskasoni first nation ask me if i got that from real life because that had happened to somebody she knew wow I was like really and I was like no I just made that up so that was completely from my imagination so the story is hitting a lot of uh Mi'kmaq people are coming to me and saying oh my goodness let me tell you about my Berryfield stories and that was one of them the violent wow.
0: that, you know it's wonderful because it's this thing that happened that mm-hmm. has never been put into a story that nobody oh. has really talked about and you've brought something that was very important to that person to life in such a way that she felt she could communicate with you about it as well. And yeah. there's like a full circle that goes there. You wrote it. She felt it. She said it to you. You felt it
1: you know? Yeah. It's a, it's very, I feel very honored when I get like an email or something saying I'm Mi'kmaq from so-and-so. These are people I don't know. I mean, there's not many of us in the world, but we don't know each other. Um, But yeah, it's so nice to get them saying, I see myself reflected. And I was like, and the Mi'kmaq, as you said, not very prominent in terms of tribes in North America. So I'm hoping to everybody know that we're still here. We're still here.
0: We're still here. This is what we're still doing. Yeah. So did you write about Joe and Norma ruthie at the same time or did you write them simultaneously like what did you do because you have these stories that are fleshed out with flashbacks and flash forwards and i'm like wait how did she get this one done you know this is this is complicated folks you know
1: so there's a method to my madness
0: uh
1: Uh, so the the book was supposed to be just joe's story there was no norma which is funny but i got about a couple chapters in i was like and then norma card started like in my ear saying, I want to tell my own story. So as an indigenous woman, she needs to be heard. Um, So I started that, but then I was like, oh, I'm getting the voices mixed up. So I knew she was going to be written, but I wrote all of Joe's first, then I wrote all of Norma and then I put together like a puzzle. And then I had to go through a chronological timeline because I didn't have them matching up at all. At one point I had Norma 10 years older than Joe and I was like oh my goodness so I went through and smoothed out all those edges but yeah I did write Joe first and then I wrote Norma and then I put them together
0: Mm. so you had everything that Joe goes through which is a lot so you've got all that first and then you've got to write her like you know up against of what's going on yeah interesting so is there any of you in this book are you any place
1: Uh, A little bit of Norma, I think Um, just with her struggling with her, it's a different struggle with their identity. Mm -hmm. Um, I also can't have children. She couldn't have children, that kind of motherhood situation. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of me in there, but not a lot. I just think, I think I just use experience to write a fictional character, which every writer does, right? There's nothing truer than fiction, right? We all, we all base something like Joe was my grandfather, right? But that's not Doe is not him. I just named him that because I wanted to honor my grandfather. So, yeah, I, I think Norma's a little bit of that, but a little bit. A
0: little bit. There's a little bit of, but you know what? You've got to creep into the pages at some point. It's got to be something that you did right or wrong that you can change in the book. Like, there's all kinds <laughs> of things that you can do. And their experiences, just being a woman of a certain age, you've had yes. so many experiences that you can't say, oh, everything that Norma does is not anything that I did, because it just doesn't work like that. There are just exactly. certain things that happen if you're a woman of a certain age, you know? Yeah. And I do love her questioning her life. I do love her questioning her life of finding security someplace else. And that's yes. kind of like what's really cool is people, if they don't have it someplace, will look for something else. And if they're lucky enough, they find it. And that's what ends up happening for her, I feel.
1: Yeah. And, and a lot of people are, ask me, cause I'm 46 years old. I live by myself with an adorable dog and cat. Mm-hmm. And they say, do you get lonely? And I said, no, I'm very comfortable in my solitude. Mm-hmm. I'm very Like I go out and socialize and, but I love to come home to the quiet of my home. And I like to sit by the fire. I have a fire in my living room and have a cup of tea and read a book. And I love, I love my solitude. So I, I don't really get lonely and people are like, oh, I don't understand that. I was like, well, you don't have to, it's okay for me. It's okay for
0: Norma. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I'm married a lot of times as my husband and I were in opposite ends of the house, we're each doing our own thing. And it's just, I'll see you at dinner. (laughs) (laughs) These kinds of things. And, you know, it's funny because I have this life where I'm very, very out there and people say, Oh, you must be like, you know, really social. And I'm really kind of not like on the weekend. (laughs) I am perfectly happy to be sitting with a book Mm -hmm. and, or, you know, sitting on the exercise bike, reading a book. So I can pretend that I'm like really exercising, but I'm really reading the book more than I do. (laughs) <laughs> all these kinds of things, you know, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm just happy. I don't have to close on it. Like that's, you know, that's a, that's a step up, mm-hmm. but it's um, I think that, you know, also when you're writing you're in your own head a lot too. And I mean, I just write a newsletter open on a Thursday night and I know that everybody's gotta be asleep or they've gotta be away and not asking me questions because you have to get into it. And are you that like, where do you write? Usually is it when you're home or can you write any place?
1: No, I, I can't really write any place. And, and I need long periods of time. Like I can't write for an hour. I need like seven, eight, 12 hours, wow. like set down and write. Um, I wrote a new manuscript, actually, a first draft of one last January, because I had two weeks at the Vamp Center for arts and creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there for two weeks. So they feed you, they house you, they provide you with a pool and a gym and gourmet food and an office to write in. So I was able to write for 12 hours a day. Wow. And it was lovely. It was lovely. But at home, even if I don't have things to do, oh, there's always a reason to procrastinate. Oh, I got to pile the wood. Oh, I got to go do the laundry. Oh, the dog needs to go for a walk. There's always something, right? Yes. Yes. I can get away. uh, That's when I do my best writing because at home, even now I'll work on schoolwork, like I'm I'm a professor now. So I make sure I'm working on work that way. I'll be like, oh, I have to do that instead. So I have to have, so I, I booked myself in March, four days at an Airbnb right. on the water here in Nova Scotia. I'm just going to go in the quiet with no distractions and write. Yes.
0: And you're looking forward to it. And yes, you're looking I'm forward so looking
1: it. forward to it. Like I cannot wait because I really want to get back to that manuscript.
0: Right. Are you, um, okay. So are you thinking about that manuscript in between and scribbling notes? Oh, yeah
1: all you the time read. and there's like pages and pages of notes on this little thing here so as soon as I think of something usually at three o'clock in the morning right so my phone's by the bed and I'm like do so I'll write it down right. about what to do not like a scene but like you need to do this to the scene or you need to do that or you need to change this or that has to change and I'll write it down and now I'm waiting until I get there in March and then I can just like dig in
0: oh how fun so you're saving all the notes for later to see yeah Oh, yes. that's okay. So you're just listening. I was like, Oh wait, what did I say here? Oh wait, I do need to move that. I do need to move. Mm-hmm. That. So in four days, do you think that you can? Okay, are you on? Um, let's say a draft one at this point and you're trying yeah, to yeah.
1: draft it it's, it's just draft one, basically. It's it's the the skeleton of the story, right? So now I just have to go and I have to do a lot of fleshing out and I have to do a lot of changes. I still have one scene where I have three different endings. I'm not really sure how that's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um So I just got to do a lot of that stuff to it. And and, and it probably it won't get done in four days, of course not. Mm. Um, But I'm hoping for the summer I get some time to to just sit and write and just enjoy the process again yeah
0: yeah it's it and it is it's 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 something that if you want love doing you can't wait to get back to
1: i know it's so exciting
0: so how long did it take you to write the berry pickers how long was that four years four years years. okay and in the four years did the story change dramatically besides being fleshed out and Mm -hmm. you add a character it was anything else that really super changed
1: no, not really. I always knew how I wanted it to go and how I wanted it to end, so that was the easy part. the The big thing was putting Norma's story in there, right? Because right. I had those all flash out. I made a detailed outline, which I did not stick to. I don't even remember that now, right? It's just was so long ago. But you just let the creative juices take you where they want to go.
0: Right. So I just,
1: I just follow my, follow my fingers on the keyboard, so to speak.
0: <laughs> so here's a question: You you teach writing? I take. Is that what you teach? Okay. Have you that. ever thought about doing a class where you say, here's the first draft, here's this, and here's mm-hmm. where I went and like walking people through a little bit more of, or here's the outline. Here's like, you can do this outline and a lot of people are it's, it's a potter or pantser, which, but it's really, you had the whole thing and then you went in another direction. And I think it's so interesting for people who are learning to write
1: mm-hmm.
0: or learning themselves to be able to express themselves through writing is even more than, more what they're doing. And to see, this is where it started. This is where it ended. It's almost like a course in my book. It's my yeah. a course in my book of what I did. I and, could
1: do that. I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to be. But I don't want people to see the the ugly parts, right? <laughs> but I'm thinking for people who write, like it's nice
0: to know that it wasn't always perfect. Like a yeah. lot of writers go. I have really bad days. I don't think I can ever have another idea again
1: to write a book. Oh yeah, I have that all the time.
0: And the average reader just says, oh, they're just going to crank something out, you know, da, 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 da. And it, they don't see that fear. You see the fear? And And it's sort of like, I feel like that we teach writing classes to have a course in, there's the fear. And this is where it was. And this is where it ended up because there's a pride that you got to hear from there and Mm -hmm. what you did along the way to get there. Because I think that people feel like the process is a lot easier than it actually is.
1: Yeah, no, (laughs) it's not. It's, 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 I said, I keep saying to people, it's hard work writing a book. (laughs) It is. Yeah, it is yeah it's just like time intensive and it's emotionally draining too especially if you read something like this book um it's just emotionally draining as well um mm-hmm. and it is difficult but at the end when i had something i was proud of and that my mom and my dad were proud of i was like oh i, I feel like i've i've lived the dream now i have mm-hmm. i have a book and i never expected it to do what it's doing in the states so i just i'm just like shocked <laughs>
0: really, and I'm, I've been looking at like numbers and stuff like that. It's really, really, really resonating with people. And it's, it's fantastic because it's like the, it's this book that it's like the berry pickers, like how are you going to describe this? Well, there's a, and yet you can completely describe this book to somebody to say, I think we'd enjoy reading this.
1: Yeah. Like, no I've, had few, I've had a few people on Goodreads. Uh, I do read some Goodreads. Yeah. Um, I've had a few people say it's a weird book because the title has nothing to do with the book. Interesting. I've heard that a few times. I'm like, but they're berry pickers. <laughs>
0: the, the fact that they came to the States to do this is the reason their daughter ended up where she was. Like, yeah. that's, that's the, it's kind of interesting sometimes to sit there and see what people say about an author's work yeah. after, because we, we also build websites for authors. So I've known authors for years, like people who have built their careers or whatever. And sometimes you just sit there and like, did you really get what was going on in the book? And it's, I gave it one star because of this. And you're just sitting there like, wait, wait, wait. That was like such a small part of what was going on.
1: You know, I had a one star because she didn't like the beveled edges. Mm, okay.
0: Okay. So those
1: she are extra. She gave me a one, so me one star. Yeah.
0: <laughs> those are extra, everybody. That that like costs money for the publisher to do that. Just so you know. You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's, um, and it's interesting to see where people do as feedback. I, I love when they give the one star because it didn't come on time. And you're just there like, really? That was the reason? And I feel sometimes the editing process at Goodreads and these other places needs to be better. Of, yeah. Like, you know, this is what's going I have lots of votes on that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> so you made me want to visit this part of Maine. And you made me want to go up towards Nova Scotia at the same time. Because... Uh-huh. <laughs> Because, yes, yes, we should. I'll drive. We will drive up. But it's um, and my son, I believe, has been up there because he's my intrepid traveler. Um, Are you hearing that from other readers that's saying I didn't think this about this part of the country? I didn't think about Maine as blueberries. I have to say never crossed Uh, my mind.
1: uh, not really. I guess the people that I I talk to a lot of um, are like a lot of people from Maine. Mm -hmm. Uh, email me and like to talk with her like oh yeah the blueberry fields I know that and I I know what you're talking about and yeah I agree with that and so that's kind of nice but I'm hoping people want to go to Maine and and come up Mm -hmm. to Nova Scotia and see the like I live in the Annapolis Valley which is described in one of the chapters very well I say, come on up I can show you around (laughs) look around we'll go see what's going on you know highest tides in the world
0: (laughs) yeah that's exactly so uh, this book has brought you closer to your native culture do you feel closer by reading? I don't know if it's brought
1: mean? me closer. It's just made me comfortable in my own skin. Hmm. So my writing has actually allowed me to become, yeah, more comfortable with who I am as an Indigenous woman. Yeah.
0: Whereas and... Um, did you always feel welcome when you, you said you didn't grow up on the reserve. Was there a reason you didn't live on? Was it it because your parents got divorced or was there a reason? Yeah. Yeah.
1: My parents were never, I was a high school baby. Um, (laughs) My parents weren't together and I was always close to my dad, always close to my dad's family, but my family was raised off reserve. Both my grandparents were from two different reservations um, or communities. And they met when they were teenagers and got married and had a lovely family, but they opted not to live on the on the res- reservation they moved off and bought their own land um, for reasons only known to them i guess um but that's why the family here doesn't live on the reservation right in this mm-hmm. book because i'm right. based on what i'm familiar with where my grandparents lived and they lived just outside town um somewhere here in the valley so yeah we just i just wasn't always around ceremony I wasn't always around the reserve um the community so uh, not until i was older so mm-hmm. now that I am, I'm, I'm slowly, um, understanding my role and what I can provide to my nation, and I hope that I, I hope they're proud of me for this book. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Have there been um book clubs up in that area? Do you do you talk to book clubs? Let's just. Oh yes, it. I
1: talk to book clubs all the time. Um, I've done uh one uh with uh, the Indigenous women's Um, a Mi'kmaq women's one here in Nova Scotia book club that was fun I did it here like on zoom and my own community. the elders are doing my book in their book club so um they asked if I'd come in I was like well of course half of them are my aunties so
0: Um, that's (laughs) Um, wonderful
1: of course I'll come in so I'm waiting to do that sometime in February or March
0: will you do readers on zoom as well like can they reach out to you on your website or do you not have
1: time like what's your time factor like I am pretty crushed for time because I was not expecting what happened in the US to happen. Right. It's been a little bit crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. <it's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's been, I'm, I'm overwhelmed in a positive way, not in, like negative. I'm really pleased and I'm so happy that it's resonating with people. But before Christmas, it was a little intense. I was like getting the literary circuit here in Canada. So, I was in Calgary and Halifax and Toronto and, and Guelph. And then I was in New York and Boston and Niagara. Then I went to the UK with my nephew for a couple of days for a vacation all in like a month and a half. Right. So it was pretty intense. And plus putting in like podcasts and interviews, I'm like,
0: I know, it's like, and this is a woman who usually likes to get the wood for the fire or walk yep. the dog and pet the cat you know what I mean yep. this is like a, that my is my thing. life
1: and now I'm like all over the world I'm just like this is so crazy in the most positive way of course but yeah I'm looking forward to the winters a little bit calmer it's mostly these I don't have to travel anywhere right. I can just yeah. talk to people in my office that's where I am now at office at school or in my, the comfort of my own home with a fire going so yeah I'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime
0: are your students recognizing you're an author now? Like, have they seen the book or they talk
1: to you about it? I don't really know. I don't ask them because I find, find that weird. But I did have last semester, the last day of classes, one of my students asked me to sign their book. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> I thought that was sweet. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, but they yeah, they, they do promote me. The The department here has been very accepting uh, and they are promoting. So it's yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah. To do a book club with them would be fun too, with your peers. <laughs> you know, Oh, let's gather here, you know, da, 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 you know? From writing the book, though, do you feel you're a better teacher? Like, do you feel like you're better at sitting and talking to the students about writing?
1: Um, I think I'm better because of my education at the Institute for American Indian Arts in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I learned so much there, right? And this was my thesis. This is my creative thesis for that, for that MFA. And I think they helped me understand how to write better. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful for them but to them but yeah the writing process of course uh, um, now I'm starting to teach a workshop tomorrow actually it's first day of classes and I am so excited to get these 12 students in talking about writing talking about structure what they want to do with their novel and and see them watch it grow and re- revise it and and just be proud of it and I, I just want them to feel like what I felt when I finally finished it it was like Ah, ah, it's good now. It's good. I'm ready.
0: <laughs> it's good. When you handed it in, did you do a lot of work with your editor or was it in really good shape by the time you got to, to the editor?
1: Well, I sold it to my editor based on the first seven chapters mm-hmm. to Harper Collins here in Canada. Okay. Uh, and then they gave me three months to write the rest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I had an idea of where it was going to go. So that was, I was working full time and I was finishing my MFA at the same time. Mm. So that was Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. sitting in my desk writing for like three months, but I did get it in. Um my editor said it was quite polished, especially the beginning, because it had been workshops so much through my MFA program. Right. Uh, but she did have um she's really gentle. She just asks a lot of questions that make me think about what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was very nice. We're right now editing my short story collection. So I'm waiting for my notes. I think they're coming this week.
0: <laughs> a friend of mine said that notes are like going to the doctor. You have to figure yeah. out whether you're going to live or die. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you're like, oh, what's it say? say? What's it say? Yeah. <laughs> are there a lot? Like, I went for a go, is there a lot of pages of notes or is there just a little bit of notes? You know? Yeah. But I think that also well, somebody reading it from the outside can give a different perspective at some point and just say, I don't see this completely or I don't understand this completely. Just yeah. flush out that paragraph or just flush out, you know, X, Y, Z. There's times where I'm writing something and I'm like, does this make any sense? I mean, I'm noted for saying that to my staff. <laughs> if I write a memo to somebody, I'm like, does this make sense? Or
1: am I still in my head too much, you know? Yeah. I, I, well, the thing is, is that it's so fully formed in my head. And, and sometimes I don't realize that it's not fully formed on the keyboard, right? It's, right. it's right. That right. everything that hasn't right. translated. So I have to, it's it's good to have another person, another couple people look at it and say, I don't get that. I'm like, why don't you get there? Like, well, well." I was like, oh, geez. Okay. I have to go back and do that. But my editor, there is a chapter in there that wasn't originally in there. And my editor was like, you need something to pull this back to the plot. Because apparently you can lose the plot. It's a real thing. (laughs) Um, So I did. And I wrote a chapter and I I thought about it for about two weeks, just thinking and thinking and thinking. And then I was like, boom, there it is. And then I just sat down and wrote it. So.
0: When you were finishing up the book, then were you in New Mexico or were you
1: it I, that was a low residency, so I, wow. I it was uh, mostly online, and of course, it was during COVID, so really? even our residencies when I was supposed to be in New Mexico were online. I only got to go down for my graduation and meet all my classmates and my mentors and stuff, but it was still an amazing, amazing time. But
0: Yeah, yeah. beautiful part of the country, really mm-hmm. beautiful part. That's one of my favorite parts of the country.
1: I can't breathe there, I found.
0: You can't breathe there? Okay. I live at sea level.
1: They <laughs> 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 don't, so I'm, I'm like, like going to I to Denver. Up, yeah, I walk up three <laughs> steps and I'm like,
0: <sighs> it's like whenever there's an event in Denver, they go, don't drink for the first 24 hours. Like, mm-hmm. you start pounding the alcohol, you're going to feel it badly, you know? And it's and out of nowhere, you know? I did not
1: understand that. So, when I went to BAMP Center, though, my first time, that's in the mountains, the Rocky yeah. Mountains out in Alberta, and I had a glass of wine. I was like, why do I feel like I've had four?
0: Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Someone had to explain to me, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs>
0: We like the uh, band Film Series. They travel it around the country. Right. And I've always wanted to go up for the big exhibit that's up there. But it travels around and it goes to Princeton and they'll do a weekend. And I'm hoping it's like weekend we're around this year. And it's just fun because you see like eight short films and you see creativity. And yeah. I find that... I'm so used to writing creativity that sometimes seeing video creativity in two minutes, a three minute film, and you just see how they pull something together. I think it's always so interesting, but to be part of an artistic community like that is a huge deal.
1: Yeah. I love Banff. Yeah. I've been there twice as a writer and once as a, a, for a conference when I was working at my old job, but yeah, twice as a writer and I'm applying again. I may not get in again, but I'm, I'm hoping I do because it's just such a beautiful place to write at the yeah. center.
0: Yeah. You sit there and go, I've got this book out. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes, Let me a, write another one. <laughs> I'll write in the back that that's where I did it. You know, that's where <laughs> I wrote, you know, so let's talk about the title. Um, was the Berry Pickers always the title of the book?
1: I didn't know what it was going to be called. So that was a placeholder for my editor and Mm -hmm. they liked it. So I was like, oh, okay. I guess I I inadvertently named my novel. (laughs) Perfect. perfect. It was a good thing. And the cover,
0: the covers are different in the different countries. And did you have a say over the cover?
1: I did. Yeah, they sent me a couple. Um, basically, they send you like one or two and say, which one do you like best? Mm-hmm. And that one is so lush, right? It's so lush. And I've, I've had people on Goodreads and send me notes or on Instagram say, I bought this because of the cover. The cover was just so beautiful. And yes. I was like, that's crazy. I I sometimes do that. Amelia Hart's Wayward. I don't know if you know that yes, one. Yes, I bought I that exactly. solely based on the cover. <laughs>
0: the cover. The cover, Yeah, the cover was gorgeous. The cover would throw me in. Yeah, exactly.
1: And it was a great book. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, that don't judge a book by its cover. I don't know, maybe some judge a book by its cover. Well, it's
0: it's really funny because I worked in a fashion magazine before this. So I always think about what I'm gonna wear. And when I do these interviews, I try to not contrast the book. I want the book to be the star. So I'm in my closet going, where's my blue sweater? Where's my blue sweater? And I'm holding it up next to the berries. And I'm like, yeah, that works, that works. It's like, very funny. It's like, oh, I have my outfit ready to go, you know? You dedicate the book to your dad. What was his reaction when he saw that?
1: Yeah, he was proud. He was, yeah, at my launch, I had my launch here. uh, The Naples Valley is also known for, we have a lot of vineyards here. Mm -hmm. So I had my uh, launch at a really nice uh, vineyard called Benjamin Bridge. And I had it there. And my sister-in-law told me afterwards that he was just standing there with like, his eyes were like watering while I was reading. And I said, I dedicated him and I'm I'm just glad he likes it. And it's, he read it. My dad doesn't read. He's never read a book in his life. He read this whole book and he's on his second time reading it. So Wow. Yeah. Wow,
0: what an accomplishment, really, yeah. seriously, just having like that excited about it. What about the audio? It's Aliyah Warbus and Jordan Wanch are the narrators. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a hand in picking them as well?
1: Yeah, um, so Harbor Collins went out and did the, I said, please make them indigenous. I want indigenous audio, audio voice, voice actors, that's what they're called. I'm like audio actors. Yeah. Um, so I said, and they sent me the files of everybody who auditioned, and I got to say, I like these ones best, and those were the two I liked best, yeah.
0: Right. And it was used here. The same files were used here in the States. So yes. it's like, you know, it's like great. Yes. And it's nice because I was listening to the audio before and there's a really good uh, performer that's doing, I heard the male role and he was mm-hmm. really, really good. And I, it was nice to be able to hear that. So what is next for you? The short story collection?
1: Yeah. So the short story collection is called Waiting for the Long Night Moon um it's based on a short story i wrote that actually won the 2021 indigenous voices award for unpublished prose up here in canada so it's named after that short story which is in it (laughs) obviously (laughs) so in canada that comes out in august but in the states it comes out next january so a year from now okay um but the cover is really lovely you can see it on my website if you want to go go take a look yeah so i posted it there
0: well, at least it's gonna be next January. So maybe Christmas, you're not gonna be doing podcasts the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a little bit more free. A little more free. Yeah. And then the novel is something else that you're working on that would be next. Yes,
1: that's I have I have the the first draft, which is basically just like I oh, don't know 250 pages of notes <laughs> so um I just have to I know where I want to go I know what I want to do it just I just have to get some time to get back to it so I'll be very excited this summer when I get back to it yeah
0: you get your 12 hour stints back you just yes. need 12 hour
1: stints yes. to be able
0: to sit there and
1: give me my so- coffee in the morning my tea in the afternoon a glass of wine in the evening and I'm ready to write
0: <laughs> just fluid me up and I'm like fine yeah. I'm like good to go. yeah you know those big captures of time I think are what so many people have to understand that's like really what you Need to really drop into the zone because if not, it's you're worried about oh this grade on this paper. How is this person going to react to what I'm doing? All these other things come into your life, Mm -hmm. whereas then it's just okay. I'm just going to sit down and do this. Yeah,
1: I'm just going to sit down, dedicate my time to this. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you something. There's going to be a lot of people very excited about it. I mean, (laughs) it's it's such fun when you sort of pluck an author. Like that's what I'm saying is you just really like pluck the berries, pluck the author, and just say. (laughs) book sounds great it really does and you know part of it is also the way you know publicity presented it to us because face it we hear about a lot of books it's not a huge publisher that you're working with her being able to get the word out about that book in such a huge way is really big it's really really big
1: they are rock stars. Honest to God, that whole team at Catapult are yeah. rock stars. I just love them. Yeah.
0: Right. And did you have an agent or where did, where did an agent come into this? I local? do. I've had
1: an agent. She's She was my agent for two years before I even gave her the berry pickers. because I said, you have to be patient with me because I do not want to put something out into the world I'm not proud of. Mm-hmm. just for the sake of having something published. I want to be proud of it. So she waited two years, lovely. Marilyn Biderman from Transatlantic in Toronto. And she still, she was with me in in New York when I won the Barnes & Noble Discovery Prize. And she's just like, she's my biggest fan. And yeah, she's just so patient. She hasn't even asked me to see anything new. She's like, whenever you're ready. So I really like having that time to just let let my creativity be what I want it to be. So yeah. And Harper Collins here in Canada has been great. And I'm with fig tree in the UK. It's just, it's just, I'm just having a great time.
0: (laughs) And you know, what's, what's really nice about it is so many people are on this book a year, kind of like the wheel Hmm. and you're doing this, you're doing the paperback, you're doing the mass market, you're doing this, this, this all the time. It's very, very, very difficult. And it's difficult, you know, it was difficult during the pandemic, but it's just difficult to write that quickly. And some friends are saying they need 18 months. Some people are saying they need two years. And some people say, I need no deadline. Either that, or I feel constricted that I'm not going to write my best. Mm -hmm. And I need the time to not say it has to be due by X, Y, Z, which isn't great. Like a lot of publishers want to know they probably want your book tomorrow, but you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, great. We've got the short story collection, but yeah, I think,
1: yeah, I think that kind of helps me is that the short story collection, which are short stories I wrote before the berry pickers. Right. So the, I say there were my training wheels to writing. Right. Um, so um, yeah. So I think that, that, that saves me a little bit, having those ready to go, but I'm hoping by this time next year, the, the manuscript is, is, is in, is, not done but ready to show somebody.
0: <laughs> Remember when I was in, when I was in school, I, I always thought I wanna write movies or I want to write this. So I had this one professor and he taught all these different classes. And I said, I'm going to take your like screenwriting class. And he turns around and he goes, I just want you to know that Amanda is not going to be driving down the highway with the windshield wipers again. And I turned around and I said, but I'm perfecting it. And he turns around and he goes, I'm not reading it again. He goes, this would be the third time round. And I'm like, I think you really squelched me. I mean, I really like to find him and say, you know, that could have been really big. That could have been really big if you just let me write it the third time, you know?
1: I actually have a meeting on Friday with my screenwriting mentor to finish off the screenplay for the Berry Pickers.
0: Oh, you are doing it. You're writing a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you have yeah. a deal. Everything's in place. Nope,
1: nope. no, no deal. Okay. Nope, no, nope. no deal. I'm just, uh, there was a little bit of, of interest earlier on. Um, so my agent was like, if you're going to, re- if you're going to have this turned into movie, what are your, rec- what are your requirements? So I was like, well, I want the writer to be indigenous and I want the actors to be indigenous who are playing indigenous people. And I think that was my downfall saying I wanted the writer to be indigenous because, <laughs> Well, you write it. And I'm like, I can't write a screenplay. Are you insane? So yeah. I did get a mentor because uh, her name is Ava yeah. Thomas and she's lovely and she's helping me. Um, she, she's a big deal up here in Canada and in indigenous um, screenwriting and story editing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so she's she's helping me out with that because i would never written a screenplay before, but it's almost done.
0: But, but it's interesting because you just have to say they walked in the room, like you don't have to sit there and do all the adjectives and describe it. Walk right. in the room, say this, but the dialogue becomes so much more important of exactly what they're saying. You can't be in your head. You have to have the words come out of your mouth,
1: Exactly. And this is a first person narrative, right? This is a first person book. So to have that come out on the screen, is a completely different medium. And I now understand why when you're adapting a book to a, a movie, why it's so different. And I want to apologize to every screenwriter in the entire world when I've said the book is not as good as the movie or the movie's not as good as the book because it's a very different medium and you have to make a whole bunch of changes to make it fit. So yeah. Okay. And to make a fit
0: in a certain amount of time. I mean, unless you're going to write one of these things, it's going to be, you know, like eight hours or something yeah. like that. It's going to be a film. It's got to be here. And what do you have to cut out to still let the story? And it's almost like you're taking the book and you're saying this page can go, this page can go, but what do I have to put in yes. to get from X to Y? And exactly. they have to get on a bus. They have to get on something to move from place to place. Mm-hmm. I, I I watch it probably as much as I read. And I'm very, very interested in seeing how adaptations work and when I don't think they work it may be because um the acting I feel is too like if they are compressing too much too fast they're yeah. trying to tell the story that was a lang- it was languishing when I was reading it in the, one way and now I feel like it's rushed mm-hmm. either that or I feel like the character development's not completely there There are all these little things that happen because when you write it it's still you've got to get a director and you've got to get actors that actually see the vision of what you've got on that page. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I don't know if anybody's going to pick it up, if anyone wants to make a movie of it, but uh, it's a new skill for me, so I'll take it. But
0: but you know what's really interesting to see, like, what has happened with filmmaking over the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. and how it used to be film was just one thing, and where it is now, there's so many different ways to be able to express a story, and there's... There's a film that may be on Netflix. There's a film that may be in the theater, and I do both. I go to the theater for certain things where I want the surround sound, mm. and then, like you know, Ferrari can only be seen in the movies. Like that's <laughs> the best movie I saw. You had to go see it in the movies. But it's, it, it's, but then there are other places where you can just watch it, and you'll just be okay because you're yeah. gonna tell that story that way. Mm. Well, I look forward to doing what, seeing whatever you do next, mm-hmm. and I so appreciate you taking your time to be with us today because I know we have a lot of readers. I'm, we're doing one of our um, Chino wives tomorrow, and I'll tell them that this review, this um, interview, is going to be up this week. And uh,
1: Chino, and- I love that.
0: <laughs> do you know where it came from? Uh, years ago, we started on AOL with one site oh. on AOL in 1996. Okay. Yeah, okay, we, I got you. <laughs> when we were doing this, we were really excited because the 56k modems came into the office. Like we were really. <laughs> Really? Like we thought we were jazz and then, you know, and we used <laughs> to do these interviews where we actually typed for authors. So we had a chat room and we wanted to figure out what to name it. And I said, and I don't drink coffee, which is really funny. So I said, well, maybe we could get somebody like Starbucks to sponsor us. So our room is going to be called Boca and then they'll make a Boca line of coffee, which only can happen when you're <sighs> at the beginning of a company and you really are thinking big because you're <laughs> not getting anything that makes sense. But so a couple of years ago during the pandemic, we said, we want to do this preview event. Cause what are people missing? They can't go to a store. They can't go to a library. So let's do this thing. Last last time we did, we had 406 people there on a Wednesday wow. afternoon. It was like crazy. Like that, that's how many people were talking about your book. I mean, it was a really, Hi. really great. But we said, what are we going to call it? And we have like these meetings, these planning meetings, you know, people plan for hours. We plan for like 15 minutes. Right. And I said, you know, we used to call the chat room Boca Let's do that. And they go, yeah, Boca Live. I said, okay, go make a logo. I mean, literally that's how fast it went because <laughs> I've got the staff that just goes Da-da-da-da-da. So yeah, Boca Live.
1: I like it. I love it. I love cappuccino, I love books.
0: Oh, and maybe one day you can go back and do one of our bookuccino live book clubs at night because we do bookuccino live book clubs where we have readers who have read the book and we'll probably give it like a year. We'll give your book a year to be out and then we'll do something like that where readers come on and ask questions besides me. We have Oh, nice. You know, yeah. It's it's like we're the today show but without the, you know, the, the, the lights, you know.
1: I, mean? <laughs> I got my lamp in the corner. You can see the glow. <laughs>
0: Oh, I have this like set up here. It's like, you know, okay, great. You know, then at the end you turn everything off and you look like, wow. <laughs> what do I just do? The power went out last week. I was like, oh my gosh, thank God it's not a day I'm taping. You know, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so very much for your time. Look forward to seeing what you do next and please keep in touch. Yes. Thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely. It's been so much fun, 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 fun. <laughs> <laughs> See you. Keep listening for an audio excerpt from the Berry pickers by Amanda Peters. Narrated by Leah Warbus and Jordan Wanch. Coming up after the credits, courtesy of Recorded Books. Thank you for listening to Book Reporter Talks 2. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Support us by sharing on social media or by telling a friend about us. And we look forward to next time on Book Reporter Talks 2. The show has been produced by Jordan Red Productions. And now, hear an audiobook excerpt from The Berry Pickers. Narrated by Leah Warbus and Jonathan Wanch, courtesy of Recorded Books.
2: The day Ruthie went missing, the black flies seemed to be especially hungry. The white folks at the store where we got our supplies said the Indians made such good berry pickers because something sour in our blood kept the black flies away. But even then, as a boy of six, I knew that wasn't true. Black flies don't discriminate. But now, lying here almost 50 years to the day and getting eaten from the inside out by a disease I can't even see. I'm not sure what's true and what's not anymore. Maybe we are sour. Regardless of the taste of our blood, we still got bit. But Mom knew how to make the itching stop at night, so we could get some sleep. She peeled the bark of an alder branch and chewed it to a pulp before putting it on the bites. Hold still, Joe. Stop squirming, Mom said, as she applied the thick paste. The alders grew all along the thin line of trees that bordered the back of the fields. Those fields stretched on forever, or so it seemed then. Mr. Ellis, the landowner, had sectioned the land with big rocks, making it easier to keep track of where we'd been and where we needed to go. But eventually, and always, you'd reach the trees again. Either the trees or Route 9, a crumbling road littered with holes the size of watermelons and deep as the lake. A dark line of asphalt slithering its way through the fields that brought us there year after year. Even then, in 1962, there weren't many houses along Route 9. And those that were there were already old. The gray and white paint peeling away. The porches tilted and rotting. The tall grass growing green and yellow between abandoned cars and refrigerators. Their rust flaking off and flying away with a strong wind.